healthcare planning, as I see it, really revolves around decision-making and, and choosing and selecting. And not everybody will understand that as a process that they need to engage in and to ensure that they then can process it within their own sphere in a positive way. Hello, and welcome to What's Important to You, a podcast created by Montgomery Hospice and Prince George's Hospice Center for Learning with only one goal in mind, and that is to amplify the volume and reach of diverse voices in healthcare. My name is Terry James Taylor, and I am your host. I plan to give you intriguing insights on various topics, including end of life and grief. I want to open your minds to new perspectives on often overlooked topics. Welcome, everyone. Today's episode is The Power of Having an Advanced Care Plan, and we hope this discussion will help raise awareness about the value of preparing healthcare decisions ahead of time before they become necessary. It is my pleasure to have Reverend Dr. Sterling King Jr. and Dr. Rosalind King here with us today. Reverend Dr. King has had decades of experience in academia, including focus on health services administration and pastoral care. Reverend Dr. King's first church in Maryland was Mount Calvary Baptist Church, and then he served as pastor of Macedonia Baptist Church for 28 years. He is a past president of the Black Ministers Conference of Montgomery County, Maryland, former member of board of directors of Community Ministry of Montgomery County, now known as Interfaith Works, and past chair of the board of directors of Montgomery Hospice. He is a life member of the NAACP, and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Dr. Rosalind Kane King has been at the forefront of enhanced pharmacist patient engagement for more than five decades. She received her pharmacy credentials from Duquesne University and the University of Southern California. She also earned a master's in public health from the University of California at Los Angeles. This wife, mother, grandmother, lay leader, and global citizen pharmacist resides in Silver Spring, Maryland with her husband, the Reverend Dr. Sterling King. In 2017, we did a conference at Mount Calvary Baptist Church, and it was one of the first times that we all had the opportunity to work with Dr. Gloria Anderson, an expert in advanced care planning. She authored a booklet to serve as a resource titled, The African-American Spiritual and Ethical Guide to End-of-Life Care. We may reference this experience and what we learned during the podcast. So let's get started. What is advanced care planning? Advanced care planning is thinking ahead about the type of medical and healthcare decision you would want made for you in the future, especially if you are seriously ill or not able to communicate verbally. And the first question is I have for both of you, do you have an advanced care plan? And how important do you think it is to have one? Well, the answer to the question is yes. Definitely. We have an advanced care planning. Ours may be a little different than what a lot of people have. We have um, a revocable trust, or revocable trust as some call it. And uh, the revocable trust includes uh, an advanced care plan, mm-hmm. along with a lot of other wills, about four or five different versions of wills. But yes, we have an advanced care plan. Uh, and I think it's very important to have to have such, such a document. So it's included it's as a part of our total you know, legacy planning process, all of it. And, and I love that name, Dr. Rosalind, legacy planning. That's wonderful. Let me ask, um, one of the things that we did when we did the workshop 
with the booklet on advanced care planning, which yeah. kind of made it really easy. Did you all feel that the booklet was easy to go through? And during the time that you all were in the midst of doing your advanced care planning, was it cumbersome to you all? Not, not particularly. We did ours, actually, we did our uh, revocable trust back in 2006. And of course, this, the conference was in uh, on October 21st of 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had a little bit of a head start, I guess, in terms of developing our advanced care plan. Mm-hmm. We, um, at the time, we sat with the, with the attorney uh, to do that. We, we went through a lot of, um, all of the, the, the questions and considerations that are set forth here in this document. Uh, and we, we made some decisions back then, which we have not changed really since that time. And, um, and it's also good for people to know that you can change it. It's good to have things in order so you don't have to change it a lot, but you can always go back and make some changes if you like. That's true. Yeah. That's what we, that's what we, we made it a, revo- a revocable trust. So we can, mm-hmm. revoke, we can change anything, right? Right. Yeah. Right. And what was the hardest part of the form for you all to fill out? The decision-making, <laughs> which is really not a part of the form per se, but the decisions on what we had to fill out the form with, I mean, the, the, our own decision-making, who was it that we wanted and would they to be trusted and qualified and all of that. And we had to talk that through and we did. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't just an automatic, okay, well, it's the next person, you know, a sister or a brother. We had to kind of talk it through. So that was good. That was mm-hmm. good. Yeah. So the, the actual form itself, it was long and complex, mm-hmm. but it wasn't that hard. And I think that's good for people to know. And it's good, I think, also to um, sit down and fill it out with your loved one or at least have somebody there so you can bounce questions off of them. Right. Um, and did you all do that together? We did. Mm-hmm. We did. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was very important, really. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. because it. We can be presumptuous sometimes, you know, I mean, in terms of assuming what the other person might want or prefer, mm-hmm. but it's important, I think, to hear it from that individual. Mm-hmm. And we did do that as we yeah. sat together. There's something in the booklet that encourages someone to hear it from your mouth. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I and think that is important. That's so important. <laughs> yes. That is very important. In the old days, we'd say from the horse's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> that's right. And what's really important is that whoever you choose, can it can be hard. We've also talked about how sometimes people will, or families may think the oldest is the one to do the decision-makings. And then you can find that, you can find that that's not the case. Yes. You know, it may that's be true. a friend. It may not be a family member at all. That's right. Yeah. But you definitely want someone that would be comfortable, you know, in assuming the responsibility that you can trust, and that would have a certain, I can't call it qualifications, but qualifications, because if somebody is not uh, comfortable in dealing with healthcare in general, then you definitely would not want them to be, you know, a healthcare agent for yourself. And I had a member of my family did not like to be around sick people, period. And mm. everybody in the family knew that. Everybody knew that. So that was good to know. Um, why do you feel it's important to have this information for your loved ones? And what is the difference if you don't have an advanced care planning? Yeah, I think it's really very important to have an advanced care plan 
Um, and I, I think it's important because I, I, I served as a pastor for 28 years. And, and of course, I, we've had some losses in our own family. Our only daughter in 1988 and mm -hmm. my father at the end of that year, 1988. And, um, um, but I've, I've worked with a number of you know, families where they didn't have actually a written thing per se, but where families gather in the hospital, for example, when you know that the person is right near the end of this physical life um, and where you directed to go to a, a, a room around a long table and the doctor comes in and gives all of this information. I'm talking about where there's not a health, you know, not an advanced care plan. Mm -hmm. And what oftentimes I've found was that um, you have what I call, this is not a, an appropriate term, but some who just can't let go kind of thing. You know, they're, mm -hmm. they're hangers on and they absolutely resist any expression from the physician mm -hmm. or the minister, from anyone to say that, you know, now is the time kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, Really, I mean, I, we had a, a situation where a person was about 10, 11 days, you know, in that situation. Mm -hmm. And it was it was a very challenging, but the other siblings and the wife, you know, they, they had to be sympathetic, if you will, and considerate of the wishes. But in, in due time, finally, after 10, 11 days, you know, the, the person really came to understand that, that this really was, medicine had all, done all it could possibly do. We had a personal you know, situation. Our own daughter, our one and only daughter, was in the Howard University Hospital for 27 days. Mm -hmm. um, she had a rare form of brain cancer mm -hmm. and she had lived with that for about 17 years, which you know, we didn't know, the doctors didn't know, and it was only uh, when she went into the hospital. She was a student at Howard University at the time. The night that she went into the hospital, uh, they had to do literally that evening what do they call it? They put inserted a shunt. Yeah. Uh, they had to go into the, you know, to the to the brain and and release some of the pressure. And they, but the, for the next twenty seven, and she had, a, she spent about about eight hours on the operation table. Um, and after that, she you know came out and they they had hooked up to all kinds of fancy machines and all, and they they saw that there were some little tremors, and they, they well, then we had a choice. We had a choice to make. You know, you either they either had to go back in to try to re, you know see what needed to be repaired, or they had to. Um, induce a coma. Now back up to, back to the advanced care planning. We were there, so we were kind of the advanced care planners at the time. Because right. when she went into the hospital, we had no. She was what twenty one years old, yeah. healthy. I mean, there was absolutely nothing on the horizon that would indicate that uh, that she had this this uh, this 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 cancerous condition. It was a very rare form of cancer. It grew very slowly, very very slowly, slowly. over seventeen years. But it had become so commingled with the the whole brain structure. Mm -hmm. After some eight hours on the, uh, you know, on the operating table, they were able to remo remove um, all that they could, most of it, most all that they could remove. We had had a, a friend who came out of Los Angeles, out of UCLA. That was where we went to school. UCLA had this fancy brain research center, and they came really to kind of see if everything that was known to medical science at that time that could be done was being done, and it, it was. I mean, there was no place, you know, that else that she could have been where she could have gotten better treatment. We, we were the advanced care planners on site. So finally what happened, they did something they call the- um, The test. Oh, the challenge test. It's a challenge test where they had a neurologist, uh, had about four people and they hooked up to some fancy equipment. And as it was explained to us, what they would do then, they would momentarily disconnect the brain, the, the breathing, the whole ventilator system. And if there was still any life in the brain stem, uh, there would be this sort of uh, urge to try and breathe. 
you couldn't see it, but that, that machine would pick it up. And if that machine, all those fancy machines did not pick up any you know, attempt at, at, at breathing, then the brain still, you know, it, you could safely see that, okay, this, this individual is deceased. It's, it's the end of the, end of the line. Mm-hmm. And so when we, uh, after we got that, you know, that, those results, we were there when, that, when those results were administered. We were not in the room, but we were, you know, in the waiting room. And then we felt a level of comfort. Um, and uh, of course, we had the chaplain from Howard University who came and, and uh, did the last rites. At that point, I took our young son, up, he was nine years of age at the time, uh, and uh, and that was our way of saying that that go. But but we spent for those twenty seven days. One of us was there twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. Twenty four hours a day, seven days. Because a week. you know, I when I was teaching in the daytime, she was there. You know, so we it worked out. But in due time, the Lord brings you to a point where you come to accept mm-hmm. that it is God who gave, and it is God who has come to take it away. Amen. And it is Amen. He who teaches us how to stay blessed. Give a name. Me, the Lord. Yes. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that and, and sharing that story with us. Um, that's why we always say, you know, when we're younger, those are the last thing on your mind. When you have children, that's the last thing on the mind. And so that is why we want to try to start the conversation as early as possible. Um, I think sometimes we can have the conversation unknowingly mm-hmm. or unbeknownst um, to someone, mm-hmm. just asking particular questions, you know, although you're young, would you want this? Would you want that? Mm-hmm. And just try to extract as much information. And I guess I'm only assuming at this point, but with minors, I would assume that that's what we could as parents write, write down. Mm-hmm. But the importance of having that advanced care plan, everyone just heard the importance of it. And you all had to do the work right then and there. So yeah yeah and i want to move to why is it so important for african americans to be knowledgeable on advanced care planning because a lot of pieces go with that and to have power over our lives and what we want done we know over the years it's been uh, mistrust in the healthcare system and different things like that that's another reason why the booklet was created because it comes from a lot of aspects from our from our African American roots and heritage. Well, you know, in many I've had um, blessed opportunities to work in many other countries, and I've always noticed that when people in other places um, they're ill, the family gathers around them, and um, you know, and that familial support is a support you know, for their healing, for their comfort, for their, for their care. And, and we have always done that as well as the people here in the United States. And I found that there was a time in healthcare in this country when, oh, you didn't tell the family as much and you didn't want them to know the details. Uh, thank goodness that has now changed. And thank goodness, you know, People who are in medicine, who are in healthcare, are trained now to be more open with how they make the decisions for care of a patient, why they make it, and what the process is going to involve. And so that's that's one of the reasons to me that it's important, you know, for people to know about advanced care planning, because we want our families to know everything they need to know to have a good level of comfort in their care 
<laughs> and that knowledge becomes power for them. So that's why I think it's important. Yes, we could talk about the health disparities and what happened in the Tuskegee experiment, et cetera, et cetera. But right now, at this point in time, uh, we need people to know, you know what's open to them, what, what knowledge they need in order to support and format and forward rather, not format, forward their own care as I said earlier, from their mouth. It's an empowerment, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I agree, with, I agree with everything that my wife just said. I would also, though, and this may seem to point in a slightly different direction, that this COVID-19 pandemic has turned a lot of things upside down. Um, 18 or 20 months ago, there are people who would have said, no, don't put me on a ventilator, or you know, mm -hmm. do not intubate me. But the whole idea now of intubation and, uh, and providing ventilator services to patients now is, is, is commonplace. As a matter of fact, I think that if, if a person, a COVID-19 positive patient were to be admitted to a hospital and, uh, and a ventilator is available and intubation is, in, is indicated as a possible option for prolonging life, failure on the part of the hospital to, to execute those procedures, it seems to me would possibly open up that in that institution uh, to a risk management challenge. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think I'm saying that to say this, I think that some of our definitions of what end of life is all about and what advanced care planning is all about. Some of these things are, are probably in the process of being to some extent sort of reconsidered again, because there are people who are feeding, uh, tubular feeding, uh, and who, be, who are getting, uh, again, services through, through, through the ventilators and all, which just, again, less than two years ago, would not have been a part of the equation. Right. So I think we have to take all of that into consideration now. So if when we're filling out a healthcare and advanced care plan today, do you want to be intubated or do you want to be put on a ventilator? You know, now the answer might be, it depends. You know, it depends. What, what my diagnosis is or what the prognosis is and, you know, and so on. If the diagnosis should perchance be COVID-19, if there is a one available, now there are, we know some states in this nation where apparently they have sort of exhausted their supply of some of these equipment mm -hmm. items. And therefore, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the physicians have to make a choice. If you have three patients needing a ventilator and you only have two ventilators available, somebody has to make a call. Mm -hmm. And they have certain ethical protocols and criteria that they sort of go through in terms of trying to make the quote very best and most defensible decision possible. And those will be some hard decisions to have to make. And I guess it would be helpful for them if those three people in per se had an advanced care plan. It would, <laughs> yes, would, yes. Help, <laughs> yes. would help them yes. out quite a bit. Quite yes. a bit. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm a strong supporter of advanced care plan. I, I just want that to be, I, I'm advanced care planning. I, I don't know if I've indicated that very clearly before. I personally, you know, support that. But um, again, I think this, this uh, whole COVID-19 pandemic, it's kind of redefining the psychology, the psychological orientation that people have towards some of these issues. Mm -hmm. um, but some of the basics still stand. Advanced care planning is an important um, way of, of um, approaching the realities of life. And this is, we need to embrace the realities of life. And one of those realities is that life will come to an end. Absolutely. Without any ifs or ands or buts. And in due time, you will leave this earthly house and you're going somewhere. <laughs> but you're right. That is absolutely right. And being able to 
help make the decision as to how we want to live our last days is very important. And that's the importance of having an advanced care plan. So many, and I would say to you, Dr. Rosalind, you had mentioned that you're a pharmacist. I can only imagine how it could be in certain other countries or even here in the United States, all of the myths about the different meds. And I know we have to do a lot of training in our environment sometime on the morphine. So Mm -hmm. I would like to pose a question to you when it comes to the different medicines that people are fearful of, how can that be wrapped into as well in the advanced care plan? Well, I don't know if I'm at the point uh, where I can speak to the specific medicines because I'm not an oncology pharmacist Mm -hmm. uh, of which there are many, but I really think that there are many myths associated with the use of some of the drugs, such as morphine, because we have heard so many things about it in terms of its relationship to street drugs, its relationship to um, just the whole aspect of narcotics, but people don't understand the wisdom of its use at this particular time in life. And see, when you're doing advanced care planning, that's a point of knowledge that can be pulled in to have people understand. Um, Right now, there is not that level of comfort in many, many communities um, with the use of medications during the end of life. And I think that does need to be increased. Some of my, my colleagues that I speak with from time to time Uh, because I'm not in a clinic. I'm not behind a a pharmacy counter. I'm not dispensing and I'm not in direct patient care any longer. So, you know, they're wondering, oh, well now why is such a quote, heavy dose (laughs) being prescribed? Or why is it for such a long, long period of time? And so I do think there needs to be an increased understanding, not only among, you know, the professional community as a whole, pharmacists in particular, but especially patients. Um, Because I think that what happens is um, they are told this is a medication that can ease your pain, period. From a pharmacist's point of view, people need to know more about the medication than they now know. Okay. And um, I have a question for both. First, I'm going to as Reverend King, but I want to also talk to Dr. Rosalind as being a first lady. Uh (laughs) Um, I'd like to know how would you prepare your members when it comes to end of life decision-making or in so many instances, sometimes, as you mentioned earlier, plans have not been made Mm -hmm. and how would your help yeah. Well, I think it, it, I my own experience has been kind of in, in a threefold expression. One is um, for 28 years, I served as a pastor and I'm a retired pastor and I retired in 2016. Uh, but I still preach. I, I did a funeral. In fact, I did a eulogy. But um, so the threefold thing would be, number one, uh, from time to time, uh, when I was pastoring and, and uh, as we have occasion to preach now, you're able to to just remind the audience, everybody who is a part of that congregation on that occasion that um, this earth is not our permanent home, mm-hmm. that we all carry this treasure in an earthen vessel. 
And there is a part of us that will decay in due time. But we go back to the Genesis account. Uh, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So there is a part of us that will go back to earth. And Genesis reminds us of that because we came from it. But there's a part that will not. And so there's a there's an eternal dimension to uh, this this dual nature that we have. We have body and soul, physical and spiritual, human and divine. Somebody said we're dirt and deity. And so it's this deity part, this God-breathed part that we'll live on. In order to have comfort in this divine, in this next stage, if you will, that in that eternal stage, there are certain things that we have to do on this side while we're here. I'm a, a Christian, I'm a part of the Baptist denomination, and we believe that in order to have a wonderful, joyful, peaceful eternity with the God who made us, that we have to accept him while the blood is still running warm in our veins. And, and we have this information recorded in the scriptures, uh, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, mm-hmm. thou shalt be saved. Mm-hmm. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So from the Christian point of view, uh, you have this is the second dimension here, that you have an eternal home. And that eternal home is going to be with God Almighty who made you. I guess that those will be the main, I said three, but that's, you know, you got two parts. How do I prepare my, my audience for that? Through some sermons. How do I prepare my audience for that here? And then from my seat, when I'm you know, around the table, as I've been on various occasions um, with the family, and the doctor at the head of the table trying to really give all of the appropriate information to the family. And if you speak, you speak right at the end because sometimes you have, you know, among family members, something less than um, a consensus, you know, mm-hmm. so whether now is today, now, should we pull the plug or is it tomorrow, you know, and, and I, I, that I've had, I've seen this go different ways. Sometimes, you know, it may be another before the end of the day, the next 24 hours, but once, you know, up to 10, 11 days, you know, and finally, you know, it was put. But one of the good things from that, though, is that a sense of unity, I think, was preserved in the family. Because mm-hmm. I've seen also some occasions where, you know, somebody felt that it was short-circuited and, and, and there were some emotional um, scars, I guess, that were or inflicted. There was, there was some, something that was inflicted that, that took a while before the communications got restored. And that's what you really want to try and avoid, uh, you know, because in the final analysis, if they don't have an advanced care plan, if there's not been any advanced care planning, then they're doing it on the spot there, you know, and, and that is not always a, um, an easy, an easy, an easy thing. It's, there's a degree of emotionality that comes in. Sometimes you have seen, you know, where you have maybe some hidden issues, not hidden, yeah, they're hidden from the pastor, but there's other issues that, you know, kind of related to some, family history that you're not aware of that may come into play. And, and, and so you, won't, you, don't, you don't want none of that stuff to come in. I mean, you, you want to try and keep it as focused as you can. This is when you're doing it on the spot without any yeah. prior planning. And the way that um, his spouse works is in support because sometimes when people are going through this level of decision-making, sometimes they just need to know they're not the only ones that have to go through these steps, that there have been others and they need to know what others have experienced and we can share our experience. There was one occasion where a good friend of ours um, lost her husband unexpectedly 
And all we could do was just go and be with her and just sit with her through the night Mm -hmm. and just be there, you know, while she went and took a shower, while she went and got something to eat and came back and said, oh, but, you know, just to be there. uh, It's what my husband often calls the ministry of the presence. Yes. Just being there. And sometimes um, I may hear some things or what I hear, I may interpret in a different way than he may. And I can share that with him later on. Mm-hmm. Say, did you ask him, did you hear such and such? You know, oh, gee, I was surprised to note X, Y, and Z or whatever. And uh, then he can, you know, take that and fold it in in some way, shape, or form. There's a fear factor that, that is involved in, in some of this advanced care planning discussion. Mm-hmm. You know, I think some people may feel that if you start talking about what you want to take place, when you're at a point where you're not able to talk or, you know, uh, to make decisions for yourself, some people might feel that that somehow that might help to sort of hasten or bring on mm-hmm. this condition, it may hasten your illness or right. your, your death. Good point. Um, which is not the case, but, mm-hmm. but you know, it's, it's something that flows into in, in a part of our culture. Remember, culture does not flow, does not derive from the DNA. It, it's, it's those non-biological, mm-hmm. humanly transmitted mm-hmm. perspectives that we have both for the social, economic, political, uh, and technological spheres of life. And so it's in that social sphere that, that you have some of these, these, these concerns. And if one is able to detect or perceive that a significant member of that family structure is deeply embedded in this, and he or she is sitting around the table with other siblings, other members of the family. You have to kind of, you know, work that in a way that, again, hopefully it doesn't widen any gaps, if you will. And I think it's very important because people have to live together once the loved one has passed on and is, is buried. You, you still have those relationships to try and nurture and to maintain. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's 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 yes, yes. it's important. You want to be a even at that hour in that in that space. You want to try as best as you can to be a peacemaker. And for the Christian, of course, that means that you know you have to recognize that that you don't have all of the answers. You know, it's not you know the end all be all. Nor does anybody else in that room, including the doctor. You know, right. but as a Christian, that there is a high power. But you, but not everybody may be on that page. It's it's it can be very interesting so and true. very challenging. But again, that proverbs, you know, trust in the Lord, but don't lean into your own understanding now. That's right. if you, you know, if you lean to your own understanding, you're likely to create uh, some currents, if you will, some some turbulence. That, that, There's no telling. <laughs> uh, that you don't want, you know, because some of these things have an after after effect. And and you, you know, you, you won't try and avoid getting a call after the funeral was last week or last month sometime and somebody gets you know something that you said or they think you said it, they thought you said or they didn't mean what you said that's what you want to avoid you want to be a peacemaker in that whole process as best as you can and again you lean not to your own understanding but you, upon god he's going to give you what you need at that hour absolutely thank you and as we start winding down one of the questions i wanted to pose to both of you um in taking the advanced care planning workshop what was your takeaways from, from that? What can you share with the audience that you felt was very good about it or any improvements or anything like that? What did you glean from that workshop? I thought it was an excellent workshop. I really, really did. It was held at the Mount Calvary Baptist Church in Rockville, Maryland, and it was a very excellent workshop. 
the uh, main presenter, this Dr. Gloria Thomas Anderson, was well prepared, had her information laid out in, in an excellent, easy to understand way. There was a dialogue feature that was there. In other words, the audience, it wasn't just a you know, one-way thing all the while. The people could, along the way, people could raise questions, uh, get their questions answered, or get you know, other responses from other members who might have had different views on it. I thought it was an excellent workshop. Uh, it from A to Z, from the beginning to the end. That's my personal view of it. It was what I had heard about advanced care planning, as we said much earlier, but to have a workshop that kind of brought it home mm -hmm. to the African-American community, mm -hmm. I thought was just superb. So whoever's idea it was to formulate it in such a way as to make it specific to our culture was what I thought was the linchpin of it, of it all. And um, to me was the takeaway. The points the, that were covered were points that I had heard many times from many people, you know, and that the subtitle, what y'all gonna do with me? Yeah. <laughs> we heard so many times. Um, so I was very happy to see it organized in that fashion, really. And, um, and I have told people about it and I've told people about the booklet. Um, I haven't given them one, I should, but I've just told them about it. <laughs> See, advanced care planning mm -hmm. is now in a more formal phase and stage. But I think we have, as a people, African-Americans, uh, we have in one way or another, to some degree or another, been sort of involved in this in a, over a period of time. You know, my, my father, who died in 1988, same year that our daughter died. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. He had indicated that he wanted to take his final breath at home. Mm -hmm. He knew it, mother knew it. He made that very clear. And my youngest brother, he's a he's 11th child, makes the heat when when you know daddy right towards the end in that distress thing, he panicked. I'm gonna say panicked, man, that made it. But anyway, he called the ambulance. He called the ambulance. So they came and rushed him to the hospital. It, it was difficult to restrain him because that's he's, he's a baby, you know, in the family and nobody wanted to, quote, I guess, deny. I wasn't there, of course. I was I'm a kid. Yeah, nobody yeah. else was there. <laughs> wow. My mother was there. I think only may have been on the scene at the time, but nobody was there to, you know, to restrain him. from Daddy, he, now he knew that daddy said he wanted to die in his own bed. That mm -hmm. was all this request. Everybody, we all knew that. But he, um, he panicked, you know, and now my mother, when the Lord called her home, she did, she was able to die in her own bed. But people understood that. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know her wish was was honored. Mm -hmm. We had to call the coroner out because we can't move the body until it, you know this right. you know, in the county. Somebody has to the, the certain officials have to pronounce that. So that we had to wait for the coroner to come and all. But I was home at the time when my mother died. You know, I'm saying that what's the old saying? The best laid plans of mice and men sometimes mm -hmm. go astray. You know, so Daddy had his plan laid out, what he wanted. <laughs> we knew it. He had advanced. It was someone advanced care planning. He had verbally articulated his plan. He, I want to take my last breath in my bed. You know, period. And, and most kids. people do. Most people do want to be home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, they want to be home. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's my that's my plan right now. I announced to my wife here buying on this in this program. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Like, I'm going to take my last breath in my own bed. Good. <laughs> if, Good. We if, well, if we can. Yeah, that's if, right. Yes. Yeah. If we can. Okay. Yes. You yes. all will definitely do everything that you have to do to fulfill each other's wishes. So like you said, if you can. Yeah. If the Lord wills, as if James says. If the Lord says. wills. <laughs> yeah, if the Lord will. So um, we're hoping to continue the workshop in other 
um, arenas and other churches. And we just want to spread the word of the importance in the African-American community for advanced care planning. Mm -hmm. And you're right. Both of you are right. When it came to the pandemic, it was a, it was, has been an influx in people filling out their advanced care plan. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. in all the turmoil, there was still something good in and having to deal with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, People started paying attention to what matters most. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and people are being asked about it more. Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. being asked about it. So health professionals are are, are wising up, so to speak. Um, They're including that in their early discussions, you know, on, in their encounters with patients. Mm -hmm. And that is great. That is great. It is. Mm Okay, well, I'd like to thank Reverend Dr. King and Dr. Rosalind King for being our guest today. And just to let you know, our website has an area dedicated to advanced care planning where you can easily access resources to help you start the process. Please visit us at www.montgomeryhospice.org forward slash ACP for more information. Thank you to our listeners. This was What's Important to You, a podcast by Montgomery Hospice and Prince George's Hospice Center for Learning with one goal in mind, and that is to amplify the volume and reach of diverse voices in healthcare. To learn more, please visit www.montgomeryhospice.org forward slash podcast and download, share, and subscribe. Thank you so much for joining us today.